worship like that that uh, reminds us not only how worthy he is of our worship, but how unworthy we are of his attention and sacrifice. Um, fitting to feel that way just personally as I step up to give a message and begin a series that I feel unfit to give. But, you know, God does his things, right? (laughs) But I I hope uh, you'll be encouraged to know, if nothing else, uh, sometimes pastors can get put up on pedestals and thinking that, oh, well, you know, they're solely, totally worthy of <clears throat> preaching the messages that they preach or that they've totally got it figured out, and so that's why they can get up and preach what they do, but uh, that's not the case, at least with this pastor. Um, totally unworthy. But yet God speaks. He uses us in our unworthiness. And my prayer is that this new uh, series we jump into this week uh, would be, once again, God showing up and speaking. Uh, As John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Amen? We are in the middle of quite a bit of unrest in America, amen? <laughs> Woo-wee, political unrest everywhere, amen? Wow, my gosh, it's crazy, isn't it? It's been uh, just an amazing eight months, not just with the pandemic, but the politicization of everything. I mean, we've been a a country that has been moving toward this politicization of everything for some time now, but it it just seems like it has built to a fever pitch over the last eight months. We've seen uh, not just the tensions between scientists and and whose reports are more accurate in regards to the pandemic and the prevention, the best prevention options for it. But we've also seen the political unrest racially as the George Floyd incident murder, if you will, we will see what the judge ends up or the justice, how it ends up playing out, how that created uh, this racial explosion and politicization of racial tensions as well. And of course, we've got an election (laughs) two days from now. The amazing thing that I have found as well, and maybe I'm assuming you may be in the same spot that it's not just political unrest. It's not just the unrest that is surrounding us that we're hearing about every time we go on social media or every time we turn on the TV and watch the news or every time we open up a paper and read the paper. There is also internal unrest that is going on. Internal struggle to know how do we respond How do we deal with all of these tensions? How do we deal with the unrest, the political unrest, 
the, the racial unrest, the unrest from the virus and the pandemic and the fears and the struggles and the responses. How do we deal with all of this? If you're like me as well, as a Christian, you feel an obligation maybe more so than others to respond in ways that are glorifying to God. And yet, that's part of the internal unrest that I've experienced with the questions of how do I respond? What's the right perspective? What's the correct, the Christian, the biblical response? Over the last eight months, as I've wrestled internally with this, as well as externally in conversations and just seeing what's going on, I've realized that Maybe just reminded again of this reality that America was founded on biblical principles. And if it was founded on biblical principles, then that means that the way for me to understand how to deal with an unre- the unrest in America is to first and foremost recognize what Scripture teaches us. That being a good citizen is not necessarily just about what does it mean to be a good citizen in America, but first of all, what does it mean to be a good citizen in heaven? And that as we come to understand what it means to be a good citizen of heaven, that that actually translates into being a good citizen, American citizen, because again, America was founded on these biblical principles. And so that is the hope of this series that I feel like the Lord has drawn, drawn me into and maybe drug me into, kicking and streaming a bit. To focus on the fact that America was founded on these biblical principles, yet the reality that these biblical principles are under attack in America. And so there's four key areas that I want to spend time on each week, or one week for each. Covenant, freedom, equality, and law. Each of these principles or perspectives are founded on biblical principles and perspectives, but translate into America part of our constitution, part of who we are as Americans. And yet each of these principles are under attack in America. And so in order for us to know how to respond, how to deal with the attacks that have come, we must understand more clearly what is the biblical definition of these different perspectives. So there's two key questions that I hope to answer throughout this series. First, how do we stand up for biblical principles in America? How do we do that? We need to know what they are, and then we know how to stand up for them. And then second of all, and I think this is more important, how do we live those biblical principles? 
Because I think even us in the church have been influenced by our culture and the tensions that are there. And we've begun to live counter to what Scripture teaches in, these, in regards to these areas. Now, you will note, I'm sure already, that this means that the next four weeks are going to be sermons on politics. You know, coming up to Thanksgiving, right? You don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics, right? <laughs> We're going to wrap them together. But understand, I, I want to be careful, and, and I want to say this at the outset, and I hope I can repeat this every week, Lord willing, but I want you to understand that these are not partisan messages. In other words, I'm not taking one side or the other. Now, now don't get me wrong. I have my own political views, and I have my side of the fence, if you will. But Jesus was neither a Democrat or a Republican. And as your pastor and as followers of Jesus, we must release the title of Republican and Democrat and claim once again the title Christians, children of God. It's not that we can't vote for Republican or Democrat. It's not that we can't have a side. But we must not allow that side to trump the first and foremost title that we have, which is children of God. Part of the frustration in the internal struggle that I have felt and I think many Christians have felt in this time is that we have Christian leaders around the country that are extrapolating out their perspectives too far. And they are making strong stances on either side saying you have to re vote Republican or you have to vote Democrat because this is the biblical way. We as, a, we as human beings love to extrapolate out. We want to know it all. And we do this all the time. But as Christians who are worshiping a God who is filled with mystery, we must always allow for God to be mysterious. We must always stop our extrapolation and recognize that at some point it ends we don't know anymore. Just take, for instance, in the Christian world, the, 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 the concept, the beautiful concept of grace. Some in the Christian realm, even pastors and Christian leaders, have taken the concept of grace and they have extrapolated out so far beyond what Scripture meant to lead to a universalism that everyone is going to be saved. It doesn't matter if you believe or not. That is an extrapolation of grace that has gone too far. Grace, as beautiful and powerful and important concept as it is, has limits. And we have to stop the extrapolation at some point. On the other side is, of course, the perfectionists, who would say that you know, Jesus calls us to be perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect, and so we have to live this perfection out. And so that, of course, extrapolated out becomes legalism. 
And we've got work salvation that comes out of that. So now the only way you get saved is if you've jumped through all of the right hoops and continue to live your life the appropriate way, the right way, the perfect way. Extrapolations happen everywhere. We take a concept that's biblical and then we want to flesh it out further and further. But we have to know the limits. And this includes politics. Those on the right say that Biden supports abortion. That means Democrats are unchristian. The extrapolation, Biden supports abortion. Abortion is clearly wrong in Scripture, and so we extrapolate it out. That means that not only is Biden unchristian and evil and horrible, but he's all the Democrats that support him are as well. And if you vote for Biden, then that means you're not a Christian either, at least not a very good one. On the other side, of course, Trump refuses to care for the refugees, those who are fleeing you know, social or uh, civil unrest. They're seeking their lives. They're trying to save themselves, and they're trying to come to America, and yet Trump won't let them in. And so that means Trump is a non-Christian, an unchristian. He's a bad matter of fact. All Republicans who would vote for a guy who has no mercy and love for the least of these, he definitely, that definitely is not the Christian thing to do. He is an unchristian. We should not be voting for him, and if you vote for him, you are just as bad as he is. Again, extrapolations. Each of these concepts and perspectives, abortion and refugee and caring for refugees, are both scriptural. But we don't have to allow them to be extrapolated out to demonize the other side. So, uh, I don't see Derek in here, but I think Derek is here somewhere, maybe not. But Derek is a, uh, a football ref, not this year, but he started a couple years ago. And, and I find myself at the beginning of this sermon series, and I'm sorry for the long setup for this, but hopefully these, you know, this will set up for the next four weeks. Uh, I find myself actually in the position of you know, kind of an official, the plight of an official. And you know, I, I have to, I'm a bit of ashamed of this, but... Um, you know, I was one of those dads that yelled and screamed at referees, you know, when my kid was playing. I did. I know. I, I was really bad. And as a coach, matter of fact, there were a few times I kind of took it too far as well. But, you know, as a coach, you got to be a little bit careful. You get, you know, anyway. But, uh, uh, but it, it's amazing. If, if you ever go to a basketball game or a football game or whatever, it's like, you know, you look at the officials and no matter what side of the, what, what team you're on, the officials definitely working for the other team, Right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is a reality. But both sides in the same game feel the same way, right? And so I find myself as a pastor today going through this four-part series, recognizing that I'm going to get hated by both sides probably. <laughs> and matter of fact, I, I, I think, you know, I just want to warn you, if you're Republican or if you're a Democrat or if you're voting for Trump, if you're voting for Biden, um, prepare to be tweaked, all right, because I feel like being a Christian means that we've got to walk this fine middle road, which means that neither side's going to be very happy. Neither side's going to get exactly what we want. So, take it easy on the zebra, all right? All right? <laughs> Just call it the way I see it. Just call it the way I see it. Uh, all right, so today I want to, after that long introduction, I want to jump into the, 
the perspective of covenants. There's a lot of different ways that people can, uh, can become to an agreement and, and a way to be able to get along or to, to, to survive together. Throughout history, nations have made treaties with one another in order to, you know, find peace, right? To figure out a way to get along so that, you know, we are, you know, we're not going to always be killing each other, right? And, and so we do this on a personal level, but also on a national level. Uh, but we need to understand the differences, though, between a covenant and a contract or a treaty. A, a covenant is something that is freely promised. It's not coerced. It's not forced. It's, an, it's, not, a, you know, <laughs> it's not an offer that you can't refuse, right? A, a covenant is something that you freely choose to promise, Whereas a contract, sometimes that can be done under coercion. Look, you know, um, we're going to wipe you out. We've got the power to do that. Or you can just pay us some tribute every month, and we won't, we'll let you survive, right? Now, you're kind of coerced. You're kind of forced. You're like, okay, either I'm going to give them some more money, or I'm going to die, right? You know, and this is kind of perspective, right? So a, a contract is something where it's a little give and take. You do this for me, and I'll do that for you. But a, but a, but a, a covenant is different. It's freely promised. There's no coercion. But it's also personal, a personal commitment. It's not a demand. It's not a, I come in to you and force you to do what I want you to do, or say, hey, I'll be in, I'll be in covenant with you if you choose to do this. No, it's free promises that you personally make to the other person. And they're unconditional promises. Which means it's not dependent on the other side fulfilling their side of the deal. A covenant is an unconditional promise that you will behave a certain way no matter what the other side chooses to do. Whether they fulfill their covenant to you or promise back to you or not. And so covenants at their core are based on trust. Trust that you're going to fulfill your promises and that your word is worth it. And trust that I'm going to do that for you as well. There's basically uh, several, well, there's three or four different types of covenants. Sometimes covenants are between equals. So they have both sides, have equal power. And so it's not a matter of, hey, I've got more power than you, and, and so there's not this, uh, it's equal power. And so you can have equal power covenants. Sometimes it's between unequal, so there's one side that's more powerful than the other. Sometimes the covenant can be one-sided, so we can make a covenant with someone else without them promising anything back. I promise to do whatever it may be. We'll get into some examples in a moment. Or a covenant can be also two-sided, where both sides promise something. If we turn to Scripture, we see covenants all over the place. But I want to zero in on two covenants because they, they kind of have these differences, uh, 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 some of these differences in that. First of all, the, covenants, the covenant of Abram. Okay? So in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 15, that covenant is kind of renewed in a sense. But Genesis chapter 12, we see a covenant between God, who is a greater power, and Abraham, who is a lesser power. 
It's a one-sided covenant, which means that God is the only one who is promising anything. Abram doesn't have to promise anything in return. God just comes down and says, hey, follow me, and I'll bless you. You'll become a great nation, and you're going to have this amazing land, this promised land. God promises to bless Abraham. Now, Abraham does have to do something, but it's not a promise he's making. He is just has to follow him. He basically just has to trust God and his word. He just has to have faith. Now, there's another covenant in the Old Testament, again, a famous one that you probably are aware of, and that's the Sinai Covenant. Moses, Mount Sinai, right? Egyptians, you know, Israelites got freed from the Egyptians. They crossed the Red Sea, and then they get to Mount Sinai. Jesus goes up, gets the Ten Commandments. All of This is a covenant that God is creating and forming with Israel. And this, uh, you can find a piece of it or a part of this in ex- Exodus chapter 24, this covenant. And part of that, we see this amazing exchange where God says, hey, look at all that I have done for you. Okay, I freed you out of slavery in a powerful way. Remember the 10 plagues? And then as you left, you, you left with all, you, you plundered Egypt, Egypt, right? I mean, you took all of their wealth. And then as you were escaping, they followed you. And then I spread the wide the Red Sea for you so you could walk across, and then I wiped out the Egyptian army behind you. And then once you got into the desert before you got Mount Sinai, you're like complaining about water, and I gave you water, I gave you food, I did all this stuff for you, I've led you with a pillar of fire at night and a pure cloud at day. And he says, so I am promising that I will continue to provide and bless, for you, bless you and protect you. And then he asks the people to also promise to not just follow him, but to obey his law. And so we see a two-sided covenant in the Sinai covenant between Israel and God, where God shows his provision and protection and promises to continue, and Israel freely promises. Now, God didn't coerce them. He didn't say, you've got to do this or I'm going to wipe you out. That was not the deal. Sometimes we look at the Old Testament covenant that way. We think, oh yeah, well, if they didn't, then they got wiped out, right? I mean, this is the judgment, exile. No, 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 no. They had a choice to enter this, this covenant or not, a free choice. If they had chose not to, God would let them continue to be people, right? Whatever. They've been wandering around in the desert and probably would have wiped out and been wiped out because of starvation or whatever it was, right? I mean, they, but he, they had a free choice, but they chose to freely promise to obey God's law. And when they did that, then there's consequences. Understand that the law does a couple of things, and we'll get into law. That's message number four. We're going to talk about law, but law reveals the will of God, and, and it gives boundaries to their behavior The law was not to enforce adherence to the covenant. It wasn't supposed to make them obey. That wasn't the point of the law. The point of the law was to give them boundaries in order to punish the infringements when they broke those laws. All right, 
So what about America? I think oftentimes, and I have to confess, I thought this, I thought that America was a contract. I thought it was, hey, I'll do X, Y, and Z, and you'll do X, Y, and Z for me. I thought it was a contract. It, you know, I'll fulfill my job to be a good citizen and you know, to vote and you know, to pay my taxes if I need to and, and to help you know, to, in this, you know, to make you know, America a great place. And then your job is to protect me and to care for me and to, you know, to make sure that you know, I can, I can you know, succeed in this world. Protect my freedoms, you know, this kind of, that's, that, I thought that's what America was, but America is not a contract, it also is a covenant, and that's why I'm zeroing in on covenant, because we're losing perspective. America is a covenant, and that has huge implications on how we live out our American citizenship. If it's a covenant, then the citizens have entered into this covenant freely. We weren't coerced. No one twisted our arm and made us become Americans. Now, obviously, most of us were born here, right? So in essence, you're, you're American because you're born here. But we could any time leave if we'd like. We don't have to continue to live here. We have the freedom to make this choice. But it's also an unconditional promise, which means it's not dependent on other Americans doing anything for us or fulfilling their part of the promise, their promise to us. It's not based on the government taking care of me. It's not based on the government protecting me. It's not based on these things. My promise to be a good citizen is my promise based on my own word and my own free choice. Because it's a covenant... It's a source of unity between us as citizens. When we understand that the people standing next to me or in the same room with me or shopping in the same store of me, and when we understand that we both have made this same promise to be a good citizen, I'll get to what the promises are here in a minute, then it changes the way we interact. This is why for so many years, American neighborhoodly, I mean, we, were all, we knew our neighbors because we trusted our neighbor because they made the same promise that we did to be good citizens in this America. Now there's so much distrust in America, and maybe rightly so, because so many maybe are violating their promise to be good citizens, but nonetheless, because we've made the promise, we still individually are responsible for being a good citizen in America. It's not something that's conditioned on what other people do and how they treat us. And it's based on a promise, not the law. It's based on a promise, not the law. Again, the law is not meant to enforce adherence to the covenant. It's meant to give us some parameters to punish infringements that are outlined in the Constitution. So what is the promise? The promise is simply this. As an American, we promise to abide by, support, and defend the Constitution. Now, most of us, again, have not taken the oath of citizenship. 
which also includes in there a willingness and a, a, a commitment to serve in the military if needed, if lawful, if, if it's you know, made uh, that we need to do that. So the drafts and that kind of stuff. But at its foundation, the promise is to abide by, support, and defend the Constitution and understand that the Constitution can, in essence, be summed up. It's all built on the Declaration of Independence, which you guys all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The promises that we make as Americans, the covenant that we make with other Americans is, an, uh, is to uh, allow for and uh, to abide by, to support and defend individual equality, both under the law and inherent value. And number two, to, to allow for, to abide by, support and defend individual freedom and liberty for life, and the pursuit of happiness. This is the covenant that we all make by being American citizens. Whether you've actually said these words before or even contemplated what this reality is, this is the covenant. This is what we promise to do and to be, to abide by, to support, to defend. Now, many Americans are pursuing contract, a contract in America, or perceiving America as a contractual agreement instead of a covenant. We see now maybe it's on the rise. I mean, I think a covenant used to be understood a lot more. Now it's not. But it, there's a, on this ride of others, uh, basically people think that, hey, if, if others don't fulfill the promise, if they don't treat me right, then that gives me the right to not treat them right. And this perspective is everywhere. The abused are looking to abuse back. The concept is basically, hey, if I don't get my way, or if I'm not treated right, then I'm taking my ball and going home, or I'm not going to have to treat you right. Boils down to the perspective, what's in it for me? John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That is covenant language. It's not a, I do this for you and you do something for me. No, we have made promises to America, to other Americans. Are we living that out? We, have, it's a, we weren't coerced into making that promise. We're not forced to continue to make that promise. We have made the promise. It's not dependent on others treating us like they should. It's dependent on how we are treating others. This is the foundation of America. It's a covenant where we don't have to legalize things and or make everything illegal or whatever to try to dictate behavior. No, each of us individually have chosen a certain behavior. We have chosen that we're going to allow for individual equality, both under the law and inherent value. We have chosen to allow individual freedom and liberty for life and the pursuit of happiness. This is the promise that Americans make to every other American. Also, many Americans are promoting a change to the covenant. 
demanding that new promises be made by other people. Get ready. Tweaking coming. Free health care. Everyone should have free health care. Everyone should have it. This is the new promise. You have to work and pay taxes in order to make sure that everyone in the whole country has the same level of health care as everyone else, that it should be free for everyone. No one should, this is basic. This is in order to have life, we need to have good health care. This is an addition to the promises. This goes beyond the initial promises that we have made. And we've got so many today that are clamoring for free health care, saying that this is the new promise that we need to add to the covenant. Now understand, if we do believe that everyone has equal value, then we definitely should be making sure that everyone has some kind of ability to care for themselves, that their bodies be cared for. But it is not something that should ever be demanded or legalized something that we individually choose to do. Because we're Americans. We take care of each other. Everyone's valuable. Every life is valuable. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. Every life is valuable, and so we pursue to take care of that life the best we can. Not because the law tells us to do it. Not because someone is stripped, stripping that money out of me, forcing me to do it but because I have chosen to do it because this is part of the promise that I made to be an American. Another change even goes against violation, violating the current promise. We want to change the current promise. No religion. You, you can't take your religion into the public place. I mean, we saw this just a, week, uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, Judge Amy Comey Barrett, right? You know, that she's a strong Catholic. And there were some, not a many, not necessarily a ton, but there were some that were saying, hey, you know, she can't bring those religious beliefs into her perspective on the law. And actually, they're right, because as she said, you know, as a judge, you don't take your religious beliefs. You look at the law and decide what the law says. But the idea is that we need to get rid of religion, that religion shouldn't be involved in the public place anywhere. More than that, and are the, on the other side, other side of this, so the opposite side of this, is there are some that think that religion should be everywhere. That we should legalize the Ten Commandments, every one of them, make sure that, and maybe many of them are, I'm sure already, I haven't even thought about all that, but I mean, all of the laws of God should be laws of America, that, that, that if America is going to be a good nation, it needs to be a fully Christian nation, where everyone has to be a Christian, everyone has to surrender to Jesus, everyone has to abide by his laws, and so we got both sides that are actually trying to change the original covenant in order to fit into whatever they you know, think is important at the time. The reality is religious practice must never be outlawed, and it must never be demanded. This is actually a biblical perspective. I just want to take a little, I don't have time for this, but I'm going to take a little journey over here. God allows free will. He does not force you to live a Christian life. He allows for atheists to be atheists. If we have a country that's based on biblical principles, this is one of the biblical principles. We should not force everyone to live a Christian life according to the Christian principles. 
All right, it's getting quiet in here, so there's a lot of tweaking going on. Oh my gosh, okay, yeah. Derek kind of predicted this. I might have to just like do two weeks on this one, but I'm not gonna do it. We're gonna get done with this. All right, so we're gonna fly through this next little bit because we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta get going. Um, covenant of love. So uh, Old Testament, we have this covenant that, that God has with Abraham. We have this covenant that God has with and Sinai with Israelites. And then the New Testament shows up and we find out, oh my gosh, this Jesus shows up and we have this new covenant that is released in Jesus' blood. And it's a covenant based on love. Still covenant, still promise, but it's based on love. And his death is the evidence of his love for us. And then he invites us to be in covenant with him, promise to love him in return. John 13, 35, 1 John 4, 10, a couple of passages on that. And Jesus, we actually find in the New Testament, we find both of these covenants, Abraham covenant, and we find the Sinai covenant, both in Jesus. The first one, again, remember, Abraham, right? He, he, God, it's one-sided. So God shows up and says, hey, Abraham, you know, follow me, and I'm going to bless you, Right? And so Jesus does the same thing, right? He shows up and he says, hey, uh, hey folks, uh, follow me and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this eternal nation. I'm going to give you this eternal life and eternal land, right? Uh, eternal kingdom that he's John 14, 1 to 3, right? Uh, so uh, we get this unconditional promise from Jesus to bless us. And, and then all we have to do to enjoy that blessing is to, be faith, to, to have faith, to trust him, to follow Jesus. That's all we have to do. There's no you know, behaviors that we have to do. The second piece is the Sinai covenant, where again, this is two-sided. So Jesus shows up and he says, look what all I've done for you, okay, the life that I've lived for you, the perfection that I've endured, the fact that I came down and was with you, but also that he died for us, rose from the dead for us, ascended, and sent the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, look, I did all of these amazing things to provide and protect for you, so I want you to now respond by being obedient but here's the amazing thing, different than the Sinai covenant where the Israelites, it was incumbent on them to now live out the law and be obedient to the law. Jesus himself was obedient to the law. So Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 says, I did not come to abolish the law, to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law. So the law is still available, but when we enter this covenant with Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, we don't have to live out the requirements of the law because Jesus already has. And so we respond with worship and love to love God and to love others, but we do that through his power. He makes us, he allows us to do that. It's not, again, grace, right? There's nothing that we have to do to make that happen. This is the amazing covenant of love that we have with Jesus. And it's a promise that we make freely to enter into his kingdom, to be a part of this, to be his, in his family. It's a free choice. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't force us. We get to choose. But once we do choose, then the rest of our life is spent in worship of him. So, worship team, why don't you come up? I know, abrupt, I'm sorry, we're just, we're flying, so. You can do it. So a couple of questions as we kind of start to wrap this up, and then we're going to close with a communion here in a minute. So, first of all, are you faithful to your promises?
no matter what everyone else is doing. Especially this week. There's such potential this week for ugliness to happen around our country. But don't forget, you made a promise. And that promise includes allowing people to pay, behave in ways that are not very nice, not very citizen and good and civil, right? And just because they're maybe acting in ways that are not great doesn't mean that you're released from your own promise. Let me quote Barack Obama. He said once, We are reminded in the fleeting time we have on this earth, what matters is not wealth or status or power or fame, but rather how well we have loved and what small part we have played in making the lives of other people better. Covenant. How do we live? How do we live out this promise that we've made? We need to be faithful to both to support and defend and abide by the Constitution and to follow and worship Jesus, to go wherever he leads us and to love everyone that he puts in our path. Matthew chapter 7, I'll leave this passage with you. This, if you will, is the covenant perspective. Matthew 7, verse 12. Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Notice it's not about what they've done for you. It's about how you want to be treated. How you want to be treated, that's how you should treat others, no matter how they treat you. All right, church, let's uh, sing a song, and then I'll come up and we'll do communion. So we need to have reminders and occasional renewals of the covenants that we make. And we see this happening in America through civil education, where our kids in high school and hopefully in college are getting some kind of civil education about what it means to be in America and to be uh, committed and co covenanted in America. Uh, and we also have things like the Pledge of Allegiance, which is you know, not uh, being said as much as it used to be in schools, but I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. This is a reminder and also a renewal of the covenant. Every time we say that, we are reminding ourselves and renewing ourselves to this covenant, this promise that we've made. Christianity, it has the same kind of things. We've got biblical education, Sunday schools. We've got Sunday mornings where, you know, sometimes the pastor gives you some, something to think about. And we also have opportunities for renewal of the covenant once a month when we partake in communion.
the body and the blood of Christ, represented by these symbols of the bread and the cup, reminding us of what he has done for us, how he has provided for us, how he's protected us, but also an opportunity for us to renew our covenant, to once again promise to worship him, to follow him, to love him, and love others. As we partake this morning in the communion elements, may we do both. Both renew our commitment to be Americans, to, to follow the promises that we've made, but also we would do that as a result of the giving and the power that comes from Jesus. So church, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this earlier. Read it again briefly and we'll partake together as I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance in me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. It is once again unbelievable. You are so worthy of our praise, and we are so unworthy of your sacrifice. Your amazing love blows our minds. We are so inadequate to be in your presence and to have you live with us, but you loved us so much that you willingly came and died and rose from the dead and sent your Holy Spirit so that you could be one with us. recognize our sinfulness and we're probably going to break those covenants at some point but lord we desire to be faithful first and foremost to you and we ask that your spirit would help us that as the spirit works in us that it would work out these realities and we begin to live more fully who you've designed us to be but lord that also translates into our citizenships in this world in america Lord, help us to also fulfill that mission and that promise that we made. To abide by, to support, and to defend the American Constitution. 
Lord, may we be blessed once again with a recognition of your presence in our life as you empower us to not only love you, but also to love others. And Lord, may you bless us with your amazing abundance and goodness. And Lord, will you bless America. In Jesus' name, amen.